0: We're good?
1: Yep. Go for it.
0: All right. Welcome to The Average Saint Podcast, where we help The Average Saint live out their extraordinary calling in Jesus Christ. This is Season 2, Episode 7. Masculinity has fallen on hard times in the West. Almost everything associated with masculinity, such as strength, courage, assertiveness, protectiveness, competitiveness and so on, is increasingly considered toxic. On one hand, our society decries masculinity, while on the other hand, it castigates men for retreating from their responsibilities. While men face more and more disdain, those who ridicule them seem to be unable to give a clear definition of what a woman is. And so whatever makes men men is deemed as bad, and who knows what women are. So it's clear that our society is tragically confused, And while our society propagates confusion, many men are languishing in despair, pursuing fake war and fake sex in their mother's basement. What is lacking is a clear vision for life-giving, society-building, family-leading, God-glorifying masculinity. As someone put it, we are in desperate need for sanctified testosterone. This will not come from the leading thinkers of our day. It must come from the Church. And so how are we as men of faith to navigate such times? What is our standard for masculinity according to the scriptures? Why is it even needed? How do we go about cultivating godly masculinity in our homes and in our churches and in our society? Well, joining me today to tackle these questions is Graham Stewart. As a police officer, Graham has come face to face with masculinity gone terribly wrong in the public sphere. And as a husband and father, he's seeking to lead his family and children into a life-giving expression of God's good design for men and women. He serves faithfully as one of our deacons here at Fellowship, and in his spare time is known as a forger of what I like to call implements of righteousness. And so, Graham, welcome to The Average Saint, brother. Thanks for having me. It's good to have you here, man. So, our listeners probably don't know who you are, so tell us a little bit about who is this mystery man, Graham Stewart? How'd you come to know Christ, anyway? Uh
2: So that's not, I can't easily define that. (laughs) Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I was taught this stuff from a child. Um, it's a slow process for me of questioning Mm. things, learning things for myself. You know, there's things you're taught as a kid and you kind of just accept as true until you become an adult. I question everything. So that's been a slow process going into adulthood of questioning, learning and slowly Hardening into belief, does mm-hmm. that make sense. So yeah, I can't point to a specific date or time when I would say I actually believed uh, myself, but I can say I do now. Awesome. And it's been a journey for sure.
0: So how many years now has it been since you've been journeying with
2: the living God? I'd say probably the last, for sure the last 10 years. Awesome. That it's been more serious. And I, I feel like it's it gets more serious every year. I see more how important
0: it is to Amen. my life. And you've been married now for? Uh, six years. And you got two little ones at home. Yep. And how many years have you been serving uh, EPS? Uh, that's going to be three, just over three now. All right. Yeah. Good. So how did you get into policing? Ten uh, years walking with Jesus, lots of stuff to do out there. Policing obviously was one of them. Yeah. It's, it's
2: something I've, I've always wanted to do. I think I've always had pretty clearly defined things that I am good at and things that I suck at. And (laughs) it was something that I felt like I could actually use some of the skills I had, you know, for some good. Right. And I think wanting to do that plays into the rest of our conversation. There's a lot of opportunities within that career that are lacking in the rest of society. Yeah. Um, things as men, we always used to do that. We can't do anymore. It's frowned upon. Mm. Um, you can do their (laughs) sanction. You can do things. Uh, You get experiences that you don't get. That's right. Um, In our society. And I think wanting to pursue that was a huge
0: part of why I wanted to do this job. That's wonderful. And how has it been so far in the last three years? Uh, I don't want to get you in trouble. Yeah.
2: A lot of ups and downs. Yeah. Um, I think I'm starting to even out now, starting to find some more purpose for it. And, good. you know, There's a lot of initial excitement that carries you only so far. Uh, And then you got to find a reason to keep doing it. Everything's a job at the end of the day. so That's right.
0: Well, I'm glad you do what you do. Uh, I've lost count of how many sirens I hear every week in my little neck of the woods over on the west side of the city. So I can't imagine how many sirens you hear in a day. But it must be a lot. So thanks for serving the city and serving the church in the way you do. Okay, so you've seen masculinity gone terribly wrong. You've obviously been working this stuff out in your own life for the last decade or more. And now you're an officer of the law and, as the scriptures say, uh, an avenger for the Lord's righteousness. So in your perspective, what is the reason why masculinity right now at our particular moment— why is it so important? Why is biblical masculinity so important? Yeah, that's a big question. It is big, and i'm I'm asking a very broad question, but I think it's because
2: broadly speaking, we're in a time of crisis. Weak men have officially created hard times.
0: You it's know. the classic meme right
2: yeah, but mm. it's happened now and if if we don't produce some strong men, I'd say our society's lost.
0: Mm. Mm. I agree. So there's the Andrew Tate masculinity that's not what we're talking about here what what's the difference between you know just regular masculinity versus biblical masculinity I think there's a lot of there's
2: a lot of definitions even in the world of what masculine is the thing the world I think gets wrong is the opposite thing that I think a lot of Christians get wrong about masculinity in my opinion broadly broadly stated masculinity is the balance of opposite extremes in one person hmm. um you need to be capable of complete opposites as one person you can't be one or the other mm. uh, i think a lot of worldly definitions lean to one side right. you know you, you mentioned agitate there's a lot of guys people people look up to and they respect and it's there's a bit of a cultural reaction i think happening right to a lot of the weakness um out there so anything that appears strong you know people view that as as a good example of masculinity But I think real Christian masculinity is the, is the balance in one person of, of some of those traits that people, Mm. people look to with some of the traits that I think Christians have overemphasized or emphasized and neglected Mm. all the rest, if that makes
0: sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I like what you're saying, this, this tension of complete opposites. And I mean, we, we see that in scripture all the way through ultimately, obviously in Christ where you have Jesus capable of great compassion. And then the next minute, he has the capability of turning over tables in the temple with a righteous indignation and a righteous anger. Yeah, uh, that's essentially capable of violence. Those two things existing in perfect balance is, I think, a wonderful expression of biblical masculinity. So you mentioned, you know, the the classic meme: um, weak men create. How how's it go? Weak men create hard times. Hard yeah. times. But what's the whole thing though? I can't remember. Strong men create strong create, men. Strong men create good times. There you go. Yeah. So we so and we're
2: stuck in this endless cycle.
0: Okay, so we're stuck. <laughs> so we're stuck in this endless cycle. It says a lot about our fallen nature, right? Like it's yeah. like when things are good, we get tend we tend to go soft, and then we get yeah. soft, and things go south.
2: <laughs> or we okay. just swing from one extreme to the next.
0: We just keep moving around <laughs> yeah. this circle. I read something though the other day that I, I really appreciated, and I'm not quoting exactly, but. Um, if men are, are exude godly, strong character, then families are strong. If families are strong, then churches are strong. Then if churches are strong, uh, then societies are strong. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah. Yeah. But when we talk about strength, though, so you talked about like, what's happening now in our cultural moment is people are responding to the quote, unquote, general weakness of men. And so you've got this sort of slingshot or whatever rebound thing happening where it's like, now guys are just like, you know, chest beating, mm-hmm. you know, womenizing, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, how would you even correct that? Like what's the, what's the balance of that? Like how do we know what is a, a godly expression of strength and what isn't? Part of the problem is the fact that,
1: you know, our society accepted years ago, the idea of Mr. Mom. Uh and the guy gets, you know, loses his job and she gets a high paying job. And so he stays home with the children. And this whole song is like, now I am her mom. <laughs> I and, I forgot that. and the reason why it's so hard for society, I think to, to put a handle on what strength and masculinity is like in a culture is because the the mom became the, the anchor and the picture of strength for the family. Right. So it was a complete flip and everyone thought it was a cute song, but it was actually, it's actually quite detrimental. Families don't need Mr. Mom. They need dad. Right, 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 right. And mom, you know, right. with their strengths. But because society's bought this idea, this weakness that, you know, that men, you know, anything like you were saying, Graham, of like strength is is considered toxic now. Right. In a man. If you see it in, in a woman, it's a virtue. Right. So this Mr. Mom culture that we live in now leaves it really really hard to define for right. the culture
0: to define what masculine strength actually is. There you go. Yeah, I like what you're saying. It, the culture is always redefining or moving away from I think a clear transcultural biblical norm for sure.
1: Yeah, and it's and it's on purpose, you know. Yeah. If you want to change a culture, you have to change the language. There you go that's that's where it starts you look way back in in the time of colonial days like that's what they did mm. they had to change the language mm. you know yeah. the way of England's the way of the world they didn't let them keep their language they they said you're going to learn English well said well said
0: go ahead Grant.
2: well I was just gonna say I think <clears throat> I think masculinity and femininity they're both defined by God amen they're both created by God and there's a huge, I mean, there's a section of society that, that talks about toxic masculinity or whatever because they don't understand what real masculinity is. Mm-hmm. There are those in society that are at war with everything God made, mm-hmm. everything God made good. They're at war with masculinity as such. Right. Um, so it's, it's intentional. Right. It's an intentional effort to overthrow or reverse or do anything but what God made. You know, there's a lot of people that reject God. Right. But they still accept a lot of the created order, I guess, the way, right. the, the way things are, right? You know, there were all kinds of societies that threw God out, they still kept men and women and fairly traditional roles, and at least an understanding of who they both were. Yes. You know, now we've taken it one step further and we're throwing out everything we can find that even reminds us that there might be a God. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, yes. we're taking it one step further and just intentionally
0: trying to destroy. Yeah. It reminds me of, uh, where is it? Psalm 2. Is that it? Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. I mean, that's a little more prophetic than what we'd want to dive into right now. But there's this move towards rebel in rebel humanity. Doesn't want anything to do Mm -hmm. with God's good design. They want their own design. Like, get off my back. We're going to redefine masculinity and then we're going to redefine femininity. And as I alluded to in the introduction, I mean, now now nobody knows what, what end is up. So if toxic masculinity is bad in our culture's eyes, then what does the culture define as, you know, non-toxic masculinity? Yeah, that's
2: what they can't seem to decide. They can't seem to because decide. Because you have half of them, you know, saying, you know, weakness is strength. You know, you, you should, you should, it's good. It's okay to be weak. You know, it's okay to be soft forever. And then you have the other half venerating people like, like Andrew Tate, you know, you have the people running around, you know, the, the, the gym bros or the whatever, right? Like the ultra yeah. cool masculine dudes, right? Right. And it's either one extreme or the other.
0: Right. So it's rudderless. Yeah. It's just being blown around. So l- let's take some time then. And I, I just want to look at maybe more focusing more what masculinity is actually defined in scripture, because we've got these swings from Mr. Rogers to Rambo kind of deal of, sorry, Mr. Rogers is a bit dated, but it's the best one I can think of because it rhymes with Rambo. <laughs> so, <laughs> plus he recently passed away. So. Did he really? Oh, ever sad anyway but let's let's look at what scripture's definition is so if we, we would compile from scripture and say okay well, how does scripture define masculinity i mean my my easy answer to that is jesus
1: amen i mean that's the easy answer but this is we already talked about it at the beginning is that tension between both compassion and danger you know and i think a lot of the scripture seems to when you find people that that god sets up as men they they in some ways emulate christ and and not perfectly which is why we always need a better one that's right right? but i i would say say the
2: same because it's masculinity is an ideal mm -hmm. it's not something that can be attained by nature nobody is just naturally masculine we can be we can be neither we can be one or the other right but to attain both in one person that's that's an ideal right and christ was the only one to attain it perfectly right so that's a perfect example everyone else even throughout scripture they attained it in some ways they failed in others there you go and that's all we're gonna ever do right if you can recognize the ideal and you can define it then you're at least a step ahead you have something to work towards
0: you know, I think about obviously the ultimate example in in Jesus as having those two tensions between soft, hard. He holds them in perfect tension. We're always working towards this expression. Um, the conversation I was having the other day with somebody was that okay, well, what does manhood look like for a single man? Like, what is sorry, not manhood? What does masculinity look like for the single man? What does masculinity look like for the married man? Uh, what does masculinity, you know, look like for the father? like these things tend to take a little bit of a different form and it's not just, you know, mere testosterone in the system. There are characteristics, right? And so as we were having this conversation, I thought, well, you know, when we take a look at like the individual, and what scripture says about, okay, you don't have the responsibilities of a, a husband and you don't have the responsibilities of a father, but what does a, a godly masculinity look like for a single man? And I think the scriptures are clear that it's like, well, it actually starts with first a a man who's submitted to Christ, who's actually submitted to his authority, who's operating in trust with uh, the living God. I mean, as Psalm 1 says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinner nor nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now, obviously, that can be applied to women as well. But if the first thing we're going to say about a godly masculinity is that's where it starts, it starts with a heart submitted to an authority that's beyond oneself, and then I think it can go into afterwards quickly. Right after that, then then a man who's not just submitted to Christ, but a man who's in control. Of all of his desires, all of his desires are subject to Christ, mm-hmm. and so he's a he's a self. I don't want to say self mastered man, but he's uh, he's mastered his desires underneath the authority of the living God. And I, I think that's something that needs to be said right away as a cornerstone yeah. for where we start with what does biblical masculinity look like for every man. It starts there. And when we talk about the men's ministry we just launched, you know, our our hope is actually
1: that. Men become self-ruled men who rule well. Amen to that. And win the world for Christ. When you think of what that looks like for a, a man to mm-hmm. to just start with being self-ruled is, is is one of the fruits of the spirit. Right? right. It's self-control. And so when he's submitted to Christ, that self-control comes. When he's not submitted to Christ, he's what we see both in the church and in, in society. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is which is at best a weak representation of manhood, right? Uh, and certainly lacking any real. Because I think I think that they talk about toxic masculinity when you talk about Tate, for instance. You know, Andrew right. Tate. That's not masculinity at all. No, he's not self-controlled.
0: That's right. He's completely. He's off on the wrong foot from the first step.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's where a lot of guys, a lot of Christian guys, get hamstrung from the beginning, right? Um, because that's where like addictions come in, right? You know, if you are out of control, if you're addicted to pornography, if you're addicted to anything, that's really going to hamstring your efforts from the beginning. And there's lots of reasons. I think it kind of goes in a circle. There's lots of reasons. So many guys are stuck on that stuff now because we've killed real masculinity in men, but right. we're still creating God's image. We're still, we still have the desires. And if we don't sanction those as Christians in some way, and give an outlet to that, either yeah. as a church or even within society, they will find other outlets. That's right. Um, and it kind of goes into a circle there.
0: So then that's, I think, a good summary of where masculinity, biblical masculinity, starts as a single man. And then, okay, well, then what does it look like when a guy gets a wife? What changes? Well, Graham said something that I think is
1: important is that masculinity is is an ideal and it's not something that you just naturally get Mm -hmm. and so as a single man like for my my boys i've told them since they were young you know i I asked the question from them and they know how to answer is that you know like what do what do men do for 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 girls Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and and the answer is always they protect them right and that's in all kinds of ways spiritually physically they know that that's what it means. So for, for a single man to understand that that's still his calling, protection and provision is still his calling towards towards women, even as a single man. That's right. When he gets married and gets a wife, I mean, it, it does change because now it's honed in specifically. Right. On a woman.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It goes from kind of a broad general duty to something very specific, but I don't think it changes.
0: No. But that does have to be taught and modeled. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Right from the beginning, right? Yeah. What I think is fascinating about scripture, there's nowhere in scripture where you see anywhere any hint or overt command for w- women to lay down their lives for men. Like that doesn't mm-hmm. exist from Genesis all the way to Revelation. But there's plenty of evidence on the other side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the man's the one who's supposed to be protecting from the beginning. And uh, laying his life down for the benefit of those who are under his care, obviously his wife primarily and his children. And we see this ultimately reflected in Christ giving his life for his bride. I think it's interesting too, even when we get to talk about widows in the New Testament, I mean, there's commands to take care of the widows, but there's no command to take care of the widower. That dude is, (laughs) he's on his own. Like, sorry guys. (laughs) There ain't no help from you because that's just not the pattern.
1: No. Right? You think of the Spartans. They took their their boys at seven years old and put them in the agoge. I think they called it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And they were started at that point to learn how to to be a man seven years old. They were actually taken away from their mother. Mm -hmm. They were uh, taught how to, first of all, be shepherds, Mm -hmm. like sheep herders. And then it moved to to warfare and that became like the understanding for their society but today like we don't have that right
0: we don't have that at all right where do young boys learn how to work and to provide and to protect it's definitely not in front of the video game console
1: no I was gonna say EA is, is probably discipling more of our boys than anything yeah. EA Sports <laughs> no,
0: but if you look at those
2: uh those cultures they were the ones that were really successful at raising men in, at least in that context, they were all warrior cultures. Mm. They all were focused on basically not getting overrun and dying, yeah. you know, in Run. the near future. Like that was their, their focus. Mm-hmm. They raised men. And I don't see why the church should be any different because we are in a war. Right. And a lot of people, I think it's maybe it's how easy it's been for the last, how many years, last 50 years or whatever yeah, it's been. The the cycle. Um, We've entirely lost sight of that, but right. we should be a warrior culture. Mm. You know, and those guys were taking, they were taking those boys at seven or whatever it was and starting to teach them that stuff because they knew they were going to die soon. Mm. And their son was going to be the next one Mm. to carry their shield or whatever Mm -hmm. and to, you know, protect their city state or whatever it was. And that's how we should be viewing it. But there's no, there's none of that intentionality. There's none of that, not even that perspective, right? Like.
0: Yeah. Well there seems to be a widespread, you know, apathy, but but I think also like a a, a culling too of just like the masculine spirit. Like you said, mm-hmm. like men are naturally going to look to build or break something. Yeah. And and so if you're if you're gonna direct that into life giving family building, society building uh, efforts and exercise is great. But if you direct that into something that's going to go nowhere, like spending hours upon hours, you know, in front of the video games or spending hours upon hours in fruitless pursuits, then clearly that masculine drive is, it's just, it it malfunctions. It's poured out into the streets rather than into something that's fruitful and productive. Or it goes somewhere dark. Or it goes somewhere dark. So it's not, is, it's not that it's is, gone away. Yeah, it just finds another outlet.
2: That's right, and that's what's I think happened in the church, hmm. because I think the church has, generally speaking, like the, has suppressed a lot of the masculine instincts in men. Yeah, why and do you given think no is, sanctioned though, outlets for it?
0: I, I say that
2: again. Sorry, it has given. Uh, it hasn't given any sanctioned outlets for for
0: got it. any of those drives. So let's go down that road for a little bit. I think that's an interesting road. Cause I, I've, I've heard this before where guys have said, you know, I'm not going to like some of my friends. Yeah. I'm not going to church cause it's all girls and Christianity's for chicks. No, I haven't said that it has been said to me. And so it's like, Ooh, wow. What gave you that impression? Um. So what, what what's happened in the church here then? Like over the last, it's been 20 years, I guess for me inside the church, what, Why is that happening? You're saying, okay, the church hasn't given good outlets, godly, wise outlets for the expression or cultivation of masculinity. What's the reason? Men in general, over, I would say 20,
1: 30 years, kind of gave up on the father thing. They Mm -hmm. started identifying away from the family and the church and identifying with their work with something that made them feel like, you know, they were of worth in their culture and society. Mm Mm-hmm. As they, as they moved towards those things and away from the things that are actually the fiber of, of culture, mm-hmm. um, and society, a court, you know, and, and rightly so, because c- created to be so,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but as they moved away from those things, then moms were raising boys from that came the, you know, the helmet bubble wrap helicopter gotcha. mom society and, and the man just kind of stood back. Mm-hmm and it's not the woman's fault it yeah. is the man, it's, it is the man's mm-hmm. fault and i would say it's it's absentee fatherhood to fatherlessness mm-hmm. that has
0: caused a lot of that in our culture that the church wasn't impervious to it seems that in the breakdown of not just the family unit but then you know uh, within churches and then within society you always it starts there it starts with you know the the hearts of the fathers to their children <laughs> the children to their fathers right they got to mm-hmm. turn back to each other is uh and the disengagement hasn't hasn't helped I think for me I, you know, what I, and I I don't have you know detailed analysis here, but I, I look at uh, our church is becoming feminized because the church herself has actually just adopted the thinking of the culture. She hasn't thought biblically yeah. about as you said, there are distinctions. you know we we've been formed, whether we want to like it or we want to admit it or not. I think the church generally and i'm I'm using this broadly. But, or saying this broadly, but I think the church generally has been formed more by the ideological feminist perspective over the last 30 years than she has been actually formed over what scripture actually says about the goodness of God's design and the distinctions between men and women, right? Like the the moment we come to any passage, like, for example, uh, the one that we're coming to this Sunday, where women are actually told to be silent in churches. And everyone just freaks right out, right? They're, what are you talking about? How chauvinistic and you know lowbrow is this? This is awful. How you know regressive, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what's interesting is is the visceral response to that text, rather than an honest look at it, because it's not just the women who are told to be silent in the churches. It's actually two other groups are told to be silent in the churches. Paul's not focusing just on women here. He's actually focusing on like, God's good order for the entire church, and that happens to include gender-specific roles. But we can't handle that today because we've we've drank the quote-unquote Kool-Aid that has said, no, 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 no. Men can be women and women can be men. And that's not working out so well for society. And it's mm-hmm. not working out so well for individuals. And it's not working out so well for the church. But I think that's one of the major reasons. One of the major reasons is, is that the, the church herself has quote-unquote bought the lie and she needs to recover the truth. It's not loving to ignore our differences between men and women. It's actually loving to acknowledge our differences and to to celebrate those and then walk in them. Well that's true. I mean,
1: you the feminism actually try did an attempt to erase the distinctions. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we started talking about gender pay gaps and all these kinds yeah. of things in our society. And it's like, well, God created us different for a reason for human flourishing. Yeah. And when you erase those distinctions that God himself created for human flourishing, humanity
0: doesn't flourish. That's right. That's right. Well said. Okay, so we've looked at defining masculinity. Have we defined it okay? I think so. It's this tension between having the expression of uh, essentially opposites. But when we talk about looking at a biblical definition of manhood, uh, we're saying that manhood is expressed first in humility before God uh, and a self-mastery, a self-control. And then when it comes to different roles that a man takes, whether it's a uh, husband or a father, uh, that is protecting, leading, providing. It's probably a lot more than that, but that's a good yeah. place to start. It's, a good, yeah. it's, it's just a good framework, yeah. right? I'm sure, you know, there's books that are written on this topic, but I just want to make sure we we all know, especially for our listeners' sake, where where we're going. So. What I find is amazing is is that in scripture, we actually have all these examples of biblical masculinity gone right. And we have examples of biblical masculinity gone wrong. So let me give you a few examples. We all know Adam. First thing Adam does is fail to protect his wife. It's the first thing he does. He fails to lead. He fails to provide. He fails to protect. And then blames her with the outcome. And then blames her for the outcome. So... (laughs) Wow. So there we go. We, we see it right from the beginning. And then we have not too far after Adam, we have Cain. And what does he do? Well, in a festering jealous anger, he uses his strength not to protect, but to murder. And so we have, again, biblical masculinity gone wrong. Then we have Abraham, the father of the faith, who puts his wife in danger twice, because instead of putting himself in danger, he gets her to lie about the relationship. We have Aaron, who the dude was considered the you know, high priest. And then what does he do? Uh, he fears the people more than God and leads them into idolatry. Yeah. Then we have Korah. Uh, he uses his influence and his leadership to launch an attack against Moses and Aaron. Then we have Samson, who's one of my personal favorites, because this man has unmatched strength and he's the greatest example in all of scripture of squandered strength. You know, er- everyone gives Samson a hard time, but I, I look at some of these guys you know, who spend all their lives in the gym to just be huge and lift heavy weights, and they don't serve anybody but themselves. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, you're Samson. Like, you look awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you are Samson, man. They don't have the hair because of all the roids,
1: but. You know, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> but all you did was serve yourself. Yeah. You might have made a few good action movies, too, but that's okay. But anyway, we also have in Scripture, you know, manhood gone right. We've got Enoch... And he becomes a dad, and after he becomes a dad, he is courageously and faithfully walking with God in both a godless and a violent world. So not only does that take faith, that takes courage. And he's a beautiful example of that. And then God took him. Then we have Noah, very similar, walking with God through uh, faith and in in faith, I should say, he actually engaged in a century-long building project with his sons to build an ark to preserve life. So there we have courage, we have endurance, we have faithfulness. All these things that masculinity gone right. And by the way, because of that, humanity gets preserved. And then Abraham, sure he he did mess up but then he also did some wonderful things obviously he believed god it was credited to him as a righteousness and he becomes the father of faith but then he also mobilizes his private army to rescue his nephew from a superior for, force and the first thing he does when he wins the battle is honor the lord in faith and give a tenth to melchizedek and so this is a beautiful example again, of masculinity gone right. Then we've got Moses. Moses, we all know for what he's done in terms of the lawgiver. But one of the coolest parts, I think, of the Moses story is when he rescues like a whole bunch of shepherdesses. Is that that how you say it? Shepherdesses? Sure. Sure. (laughs) No, seven daughters. There we go. We'll call them seven daughters of Midian from bully shepherds. And I love this story because it's like, I wonder why God put that in there. Like, sure, it's a, like, he's moving the story on to, okay, how did you get, how did you get Midian's daughter, Moses? Because you were a man (laughs) and you (laughs) stood up to a bunch of bullies. So awesome.
1: Might be a good example for some single men.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. I love it.
1: If you want to stay single. you You want to stay single? If you don't want to stay single. Yeah. If you don't want to stay single. Uh go kill you some shepherds. Yeah. No, that's not that's no. not right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you know what's cool about the story too? When you read it carefully, you realize that Moses wasn't looking for a reward at all. He just did it because it was the right thing to do. He stayed mm-hmm. there. Yeah. They had to go back and get him yeah. to say, hey, come back to the camp of us. Yeah. And this
1: is so crazy because you look at you look at what's going on, say, like New York City recently. Uh-huh. There's a 89, I think she was an 89 year old woman uh-huh. who some other guy who was out of his mind took her cane and like beat her i mean like beat the snot out of her right and all the other men standing around did nothing took videos on their cell phones oh, of it. Bro. nobody stepped in nobody stepped in and i know i know because part of it they're saying is because last time a guy stepped in he got he went to jail for it or got or went to at least court for it unbelievable but they just sat there and took a video and you, and you have stuff like this happening all the time. Now, guys just kind of watch by because they don't, oh, it's not my problem. I don't want to get involved. Right.
0: And right there is a, is a great example of an idea that has been completely and utterly lost. Mm-hmm. There's no sense of responsibility that I can act mm-hmm. and therefore I should act yeah. or I must act. But Which I think society's made men... To, or
1: I shouldn't say society's made men this way, but they've made men get to the place where they, they they don't plan to act and therefore they don't when it's time. Right. That's a great way to put it, yeah. Right. So then yeah. so then somebody's in front of them, Get an 89-year-old woman is being beat by some guy who needs himself to be beat. Mm-hmm. And they don't know what to do. Yeah. They have no idea. Wow. That's why the last time it happened, it was a former, I think, Marine or something like that, we grabbed a guy because he was... He was actually injuring people around him.
0: Mm. You know, so he knew what to do, but he was trained for that. That's right. Uh, need to train for more engagements this way. Anyway, I had a few more examples of uh, godliness gone right. One of my favorites is uh, Phineas. You guys know about him? So, so the nation is experiencing divine judgment. Everybody's in mourning uh, because the Israel guys are sleeping with some Midianite women. And while the entire congregation is standing there mourning and repenting, some dude has the audacity to walk in front of the whole congregation with his lover and just head on into the tent to get down to business. And so Phineas picks up a spear and goes into the tent and takes care of both of them in one shot. And you're like, whoa, dude. And the first thing that God says is that guy is always going to have a man to stand before me. Because his, he burned with the jealousy of the Lord. And I thought, wow, there's an example of not only faith, but righteous indignation and the will and wherewithal to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Like that's, I, I don't think, well, few men have that capacity, but there's, there's, there's godliness, godly masculinity gone right. Cause somebody had to take care of that. Somebody had to do something about that because that dude was essentially bringing more judgment on the congregation. And so what are people going to do about it? Sit there and cry about it? Take a video on their cell phone or go and take care of the guy? And there it was. And then finally, Joab, when surrounded by the enemy's army, he acts both decisively, courageously, strategically, and finally faithfully. And he says to his brother, be of good courage and let us be courageous. Watch this. For our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what seems good to him. And encapsulated in that statement is so many incredible things about biblical manhood. Mm -hmm. The first thing is be of good courage and let us be courageous. Why, for our namesake, for our glory? No, 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 no. He's not thinking about himself anymore. It's our people and the cities of our God. And then finally he resigns himself, whatever God's gonna do with this, let him do. And let the Lord do what seems good to Him. Yeah. There's there's some glorious examples in Scripture, and then finally, obviously, as we've already said, we have our King, who encapsulates all the best and none of the bad in any of these things. So we have tons of information in Scripture to understand what this actually means for us to be men of of faith, biblical men, and men who are biblically masculine. And so, what do we? How do we actually cultivate this then? We've talked about what it is, who to look to, why the church is the way it is right now. What do we do to fan this into flame?
2: I think there's two concepts that are lost. One is that we're in a war. Mm -hmm. And I know with the the job I do, I get to see it very openly. You know, the vast majority of my coworkers, they're they're not believers or whatever, but I don't know many of them that would deny that there is a war between good and evil going on, right? Um, It's just so obvious, right? You can't deny it. And it's one of the advantages of of doing a job like this Mm -hmm. is because that's always in front of you, right? Society has become so easy. It's, it's easy to go through life without ever seeing it that way. But when you view life as a battle and you can adopt an actual warrior mindset, things make a lot more sense. The idea that you, you are actually engaged in a war, whether you like it or not, you are under attack. It just, it it makes a lot more sense. And the second thing is within that context, then you have, as a man, you have a God given responsibility. Mm. Um, and that's what, that verse, that's what, it's one of my favorites, because I think it, it delineates our responsibility as men Mm. that we must take seriously, that we can't take too seriously. It divides that from God's sovereignty. The outcome is not in our hands. We're not to worry about it. Right. Our job is to play the man. Amen. You know, and to be courageous. There are things that, you know. Yeah, you're going back to what Job said. Yeah, yeah. and he he didn't sit back and say, oh, God's in control. Right. the battle, you know, it'll go whichever way he wants. No, he was smart. He trained. Yeah. He was a warrior. He had experience. He had all these things and he used those to make the best decisions he could. And he said, let us be courageous. Let's play the man. And you know what? The outcome? The Lord do it seems good to him. Amen. Almost flippant. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he. He was a warrior. He took his job deadly serious. Amen. The outcome, it's almost like he didn't care. You know what? You know what I mean? Then there's that and that's again that's that I contrast. Know I'm doing
0: my job yeah. at the end of the
2: day. <laughs> and the outcome isn't in my hands. And that's why as Christian men, we should be so we should be so much more effective is cuz we should have that perspective. We're not wasting our time worrying about the outcome. Amen. I take the protection of my family extremely seriously. Amen. I train. I have implements I do, you know, I I take it seriously. Yes, yes. The outcome, it's not my job to dictate what happens. There's so many things that could happen that are out of my control that I'm not to worry about. Right. And to give no thought for them. Right. Because they're not in my eh. responsibility. You know what I mean? Eh.
0: So there's there's a diligence there and a discipline there, but there's also a restfulness in there yeah. as well too, where it's like, sure, like there's a lot of things I can bear on my shoulders, but there's some things I just simply can't. Those are the and things shouldn't. that yeah. go, and shouldn't. And I love the I just love the way that verse puts
2: those two kind of uh, against each other, that contrast. And it's just another thing. I mean, I think all of Christianity is any, any principle within Christianity is a balance of opposite extremes.
0: Amen. And it holds that tension that you're talking
2: about. And this, this is no different, right? That Mm -hmm. you take your job, your responsibility as a man, deadly serious. Amen. What's not your responsibility? You don't even need to care about it. That's right. You don't need to think about it. That's
0: right.
1: (laughs) Isn't that hard? That's the hard thing today because you know a lot of people see that there are issues coming, issues happening around us, mm-hmm. you know, and we get into this kind of mentality that we we have to be prepared for this thing that we see in the future, and instead of being prepared for the things that are according to our calling, mm-hmm. we're trying to think of those things, and we spend we get down this wormhole, right, yep. and so we we have there's two ways a man trains. One of them is physically. A guy said, he said, what happens if, you, if you're in a situation where you have to run away with your family? He's like, who's gonna, who's gonna carry the big bag? Your wife or you, you know? And so he's, I mean, his point is, can you actually do it physically? So you right. train physically. And Paul even says it's actually, uh, there is some value to it. Amen. But he also puts attention on with that. It's not really attention. He's just saying that you, you have to also train the, the soul. Yes. Right? So if a man isn't convicted that this is his calling, he won't be prepared to administer that calling. Amen. As a Christian man, you have to know from the scripture that this is not, this is not what you do. This is actually your calling as a man. Hmm. You know, it's, it's actually innate to your identity. Mm-hmm. And it starts with our identity in Christ and then our identity specifically as as who, who God wants us to be to our families awesome. and who God wants us to be to our church and who God wants us to be to our city and our culture. And understanding that that calling that we're actually that that God gives us an identity in that, and then mm-hmm. He gives us uh, the Spirit of God to empower us for it. What's and that? so, if we know what the Scripture says, I mean, how does somebody like Joab able to say, "May the Lord do what seems good to him" mm-hmm. with any kind of confidence, except for the fact that he knew, Amen, that God was good in it? So he, otherwise, it, it would seem foolish, right? Mm-hmm. But, but he said, hey, I let the Lord do what's good. Is essentially, is what he's saying, because, because that's what God says, says he is. So if we don't know that as men, we're not going to prepare for this war, this epic cosmic battle that God has us a part mm-hmm. of. And so a lot of guys are, are retreating to the video games, to pornography, to all kinds of different addictions. They're kind of hiding you know, from that responsibility because they're afraid of administering it because they're afraid of the repercussions. And that's why if you know the Lord— Man, you can just leave that up to him. Just uh, do what he said. If you, uh, there's an old saying, probably came from the Spartans <laughs> too. I don't know, but he said, um, "It says uh, if you if you want peace, prepare for war." Yeah, and so you have to be ready. That's right. You have, but you have to be ready with the whole man, That's not just right. not just the the physical training part of it. But better be a
2: warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. But I don't think a lot of people see the urgency of it. They no. don't see right. the battle. They think you know this is you know preparing right. David said, you know, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Today, we don't even prepare the horse. We're like, oh, safety is of the Lord. We're just going to hang out. We're comfortable. We're chill. I would say God made men for battle. You know, we are meant to work hard yeah. and to fight hard. Like, it's what we're made for. And now we exist to just, you know, ease on into the last few years of our life and just ride it out and I guess die in unfulfilled misery. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. But,
1: well, we missed, it, we missed the whole thing sitting or sitting aside, hoping for, um, you know, some kind of comfort and, and, and then even in the, in the end of our life, we're like, no, nah, th- we've done it. You know, yeah. when, when society Check and up. when your church needs you the most, yeah, we're going to move to, I don't know, Palm Springs and golf out our life. Yeah. And, no, and I, the last
2: two years, there's been some actual pushback, right. To the church and to things that people believe. Mm-hmm. And you see people just completely unprepared. For conflict right even even in the realm of ideas, right, people are running and hiding right you know and and even even in the church where we should be the of all the people in the world, we should see the battle going on right. and have an understanding and know what's coming right and recognize things for what they are in the moment right
0: we're blindsided that's right well, going back to the example of Joab, he had a reason to be brave. he had a reason to be brave. Because he knew that God was for him, with him, and sovereign. Mm -hmm. And so he could trust and then carry on. One of the things you guys have touched on is interesting about this training, this idea of, first of all, understanding our identity. That's huge. So biblical masculinity requires uh, biblical knowledge. And then it also requires training and understanding our context. Like, where are we actually? at and where we're actually at, as you said already, we're, we're in the middle of a cosmic war. And I think, you know, we go back to Jesus himself and Jesus had this understanding from the beginning. He talked about the kingdom of God advancing and there was a violent aspect to it, not, and please don't misunderstand me, but it's not about the kingdom of God advancing at a at the tip of a spear, we're, we're, we're not Islam here. This is not what Jesus was referring to, but there was a conflict there. Because God's rule was coming into the world through him and then through the church that he was going to build. And there was going to be opposition. And sometimes that was going to be brutal and bloody, but it will always be spiritual. And that was going to be, quote unquote, uh, there there was violence there. There was a conflict there. And you cannot fight a war spiritually, mentally, and or physically without having some sense that you're actually even in a war there, there is a warrior mindset that is is required of even the average saint where it's like look at like we're not all called to be on the front lines you know literally speaking uh and we're gifted in different ways but let's not fool ourselves here for a minute that we're in a world at peace yeah we never have been no but we had the illusion of it definitely the illusion yeah. because people
1: weren't mad at us and then as soon as people got mad at us and started saying things that hurt our feelings, like we didn't know what to do. That's what you're talking about right. the last two years, two, three years, it's like, oh, we don't like the church, why? You know, and they have all their reasons, but then we're like, oh, they don't like us? Ooh, yeah. what can yeah. we, we possibly what, do. what can we change what so can they can
0: like us? So we're saying as faithful men in our progressive pagan society, that is awash in confusion and feminism and expect so little from men, the first thing we need to do is, is recover a biblical vision for what masculinity actually is then to train toward it because it doesn't happen naturally does it like nobody no. just arrives at biblical masculinity by understanding what biblical masculinity is this <laughs> yeah. requires some effort here what else though what else can we do
1: if, if i can say just the part about training mm-hmm. um you know it that men in the church need to understand themselves as part of a pack. If I can, if you don't submit yourself, for instance, to older men and their wisdom to you, you know, because I've seen a lot of a lot of younger guys. Now that I'm getting to be the older guy, look at some of the older guys that I know and have them give them advice, and they said that's nice, Grandpa, but we're going to do this because we think it's better. Back to the uh, agoge, it's there. There is. The the younger boys were set were were set in quarters with the older boys, mm-hmm. and the older boys were set in quarters with those older than them, um, and so that there was there was a passing down a, a, an i a, an idea of a legacy of a warrior mm-hmm. that was passed down over time, and so guys that want to treat their training in kind of a solo environment, mm-hmm. you know, like a like an online exercise regime, <laughs> sure, you know, that they do in their basement by themselves, right. It, they're not. They're not actually going to be prepared, right? And so, like Christian men have to be around other Christian men to learn from and to also teach. Amen. And to have that in their mindset that, that that's what they're they're supposed to
0: be as right. um, as a good soldier, as Paul says of Jesus Christ. And there's the Titus two again. Yeah, there's the Titus two. So a band of brothers essentially. Yeah, because you are linking arms in a spiritual army. Yeah. With other men, Graham and I were talking about this the other day. Actually, you remember that castle?
2: Yeah. Well, that like in regards to bringing your family under the authority of a church. Yeah. Again, to me, to me, war type analogies like they just, they just make sense. They do. And that's the way I, I see the world. And like we talk about a family and the importance of being part of a church and that discipleship, like. I, I picture it like a, you know, a castle, I was reading a book to to Quinn the other day and it's, you know, it's all these paintings of these cool castles, right? And it's just, it's all these turrets, all different sizes and shapes or whatever, and they're all linked together with walls or whatever, but they're all linked together in a way that, you know, one covers the other one and, you know, and they all work together and we're, we're in a war. And if you want, you can try to build your family. You're that little turret, right? And you can be way out there on the plane Mm. by yourself getting swarmed, you know, by the, by the savages, by the barbarians and yeah. just trying to keep from crumbling. Right. right. And you, and good luck going on the offensive, right? right. You're going to be at best maintaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but you link that into that larger structure to that castle. Well, not only do you have the protection of other people you're not going to like them all. It's not going to, you're not all going <laughs> to get along perfectly. It's not ideal, right? Like it, it, we're all just people, right? But hey, man. you link yourself into a bigger structure like that and you can withstand a lot more you might even be able to go out there, you know, and do damage where you would have just been stuck on the offensive, right? That's right? Or on
0: the defensive, sorry. So we've said a few things. Number one, understanding our calling, understanding the definition of biblical manhood, what the scriptures actually have to say in our ultimate example in Jesus. Then we've talked about training for it uh, actively. And then third, knowing our context, which is war. And then finally, uh, we've talked about doing this with a band of brother, linking, linking arms and, and going on the offensive. When things are easy, we don't do that. Yeah. We just simply don't. And I lament it because as much as I hate the Rona years, there was such a grace marbled through it, and that people actually started to become at least somewhat aware mm-hmm. of the fact that, oh, we're not actually in peacetime. There's real costs here. And it's actually a risk to meet together. We do actually have to have each other's back. Oh, we're not going to make it. And now that the heat is sort of turned down a little bit, I kind of want more heat. <laughs> to, to slip back into the. <laughs> because it's impossible. Because yeah. people are, they're, they're creatures of comfort. And, and even I, I will include myself in this. Because it's like when you don't see a visible, tangible threat in yeah. front of you all the time. We're, we're a little bit like hobbits. We just want to relax and have some, you know, strawberries and cream and a cold beer or whatever. Like, it's like, oh, this is great. We're on holiday. Yeah. But behind the tree line is a whole entire army of warcs is going to come burn the whole place down. So you might want to put away the beer. How do we, how do you, how do we deal with that? You guys got any ideas? I'm out of ideas. (laughs) (laughs) Do we need to do drills? (laughs)
2: Well, that's what, that's. I mean, it gets back into why why I wanted to do this job. But I I think that's a huge benefit. I sometimes wish so bad I could bring people mm. into situations and just show them like that. This is what's going on. This maybe is, maybe
0: that's what we should do. We should do ride along yeah. with great. Right? <laughs> but it's just, it's just so You're obvious, right? Right. You,
2: you can't possibly lose sight of the fact, right, that there is evil out there. And it's like even with the whole Rona thing, like it was. It showed so clearly how it wasn't. It wasn't just attack against the church by any means. Right. It, was, it was an attack on humanity Period. <laughs> as such. Absolutely. And the church was supposed to be a light Absolutely. and it was supposed to be a beacon of hope and of common sense right. in, in all of that. Right, And in so far as we went with everybody, we lost that Amen. to the degree that we just went with everyone, because that's what was happening. It was, it was going nuts. right? Mm-hmm. And that's happening now with society. It's falling apart. Yeah. And if you can't see it from your living room window, it might as well not be happening. Right. right. For most people. Right. And I'm just lucky to be able to see that. Right. You get a daily reminder. Yeah. And you you can't, you can't forget that. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you literally train for it. Mm-hmm. You train physically, you train spiritually, you train mentally. It's much easier when you can see it. There you go. I don't know how, you know, we're on this weird edge, right? Where it's falling apart and I think everyone can sense it but it's not so in your face that it's enough to, to really scare people into moving, like to, right. to doing
0: something. And. and that's where I think, you know, I was having this conversation the other day with my wife, people are expecting things, hoping that things go back to some sort of normalcy and stability. and And so I think, you know, people haven't really recovered from the last three years. And so they're kind of hoping, well, now things are sort of at rest, you know, things are okay. Because we want to go back to that comfort. We want to find that comfort in, you know, whether it's routine or whether it's economic health or societal cohesion or freedom or whatever we're looking for comfort in. And unfortunately, I don't know if that's conducive to the warrior mindset. I mean, even when we think of our Lord, he, he led a pretty austere life. The man walked everywhere. He, mm-hmm. he did a physically laborious job for his, at least 15 years of his adult life. I mean, you know, depending on who you talk to, either he was the carpenter or a, essentially a general contractor in Nazareth, maybe both. But the reality is, is like he worked with his hands, he walked everywhere, he slept out in the open air. Yeah. Uh, and and then, you know, again, this is uh, not, not making too much of Jesus's physicality, but he carried a 200 pound crossbeam. After being up all night and tortured, he wasn't a soft guy, and and that was just physically. But then we talk about mentally, mentally, he was able to do these things, and obviously spiritually as well. I mean, this was the, the whole the whole man was at work, and I think that mentality. I, I don't know if we have to intentionally like maybe cut out some comforts. I I think 100%. as men, yeah, just to say hey, like, and this is really kind of funny because people always tease me for having cream on my coffee because they're like, you're soft. <laughs> and my answer is I just don't hate myself enough to just have black yeah. coffee. <laughs> but like, do we have to like, do we have to like say, Hey man, like part of the training here is making sure that things are a little difficult on purpose. Is that, what do you think?
2: I think hundred percent. And I'm, and maybe I go too far this way. I don't, I don't necessarily like deprive myself of comforts intentionally, yeah. but I do intentionally put myself in uncomfortable situations. I do, you know, even something as simple as working out, right? Even even the world is starting to recognize the benefit of some of these things right. in, in that, not just in themselves, right? You're not working out just to, you know, be able to lift a little bit heavier or mm-hmm. run a little bit faster, look a little bit better, but like putting yourself through something that's very uncomfortable yeah. and pain yes. and just, learning to actually not just endure it, but actually enjoy it. Right. And you, and you, you start to look forward to it. Right. Because there's part of us that we we were meant to do that. Men were meant to work hard. Men were meant to endure suffering, you know, and it, if, and if you're in a society that's so soft that you can actually get away without doing that, mm. you know, it's about to end. Right. Those things never last. Right. And <clears throat> you better start intentionally doing things to, really I guess harden yourself Mm -hmm. you know if you're a man and you don't have a single physical skill all you you do is sit in front of a computer we live in this incredible society where you can make a living and you can do that and that's awesome Mm -hmm. but find something and learn how to do it find a buddy that can teach you how to build something right go to a gym and start working out Mm -hmm. go go run like learn to do something that's physically hard right because I mean, I, this is kind of my opinion, but it's going to get hard. Right. It's going to get physically difficult. Right. And I think all of that, just like recognizing that masculinity is an ideal, you have to then intentionally go do things to develop that. Gotcha. You know, if if being a real man means that you can be incredibly fierce and angry and violent on one hand, mm-hmm. and yet caring and compassionate and loving and sensitive on the other, you need to go do things that are going to develop those in you because you will not naturally Mm -hmm. be both. You'll either be neither or you'll be mostly one and not the other. And you're going to have to look at yourself and say, what do I need to work on? You know, and I'll like, as an example, like I'll do things that, you know, as a, as a guy, maybe a lot of guys would be like, ah, that's not cool or whatever. But like, I'll, I'll intentionally like, I'll go to classical concerts. Mm. And I love them now, Mm. you know, and I can go from sitting and enjoying a beautiful piece of music. Mm. 12 hours later, I'm on shift fighting a guy in the basement of a crack house somewhere and I'm loving both of them.
0: There you go. What a tension, (laughs) you know, but you know what I mean? But you have to. Because you are not going to get further apart (laughs) in those different worlds. (laughs) But naturally
2: you're going to, you're going to tend to one or the other. Right. And tend to, to not enjoy or be uncomfortable with the other side. Right. Right and you have to, t- to attain an ideal, you need to consciously go out and do something right. to do that. You can't right. think your way to it or just sit so, there.
0: And, and I think I like that example that you gave, not only because it's it's poignant, but also because we're not just talking about physical discipline, although we are. I mean, like it includes our physical being, but that also is a mental discipline as well.
1: If, if you're not intentional about developing Yourself, mm-hmm. uh, or being developed by those around you, then then you will be a benign citizen wherever mm-hmm. you are, mm-hmm. and and you'll find there'll be there'll be little worth for you if I can put it that way. If you're not going to actually live intentionally, and that's why we have a whole generation of um, what uh, Driscoll said years ago was boys that can shave, mm-hmm. you know, who have who have very little worth to their their families, mm-hmm. very little worth to their culture and society, very little worth to their churches Mm. because there's no intentionality about their life at all. Mm. And so if you're going to, if you're going to intentionally put yourself in a hard place, if you want to talk spiritually, it really starts with doing something that most men don't like to do. Mm. And that is just to sit down for at least, I would say 20 minutes and do one thing Cause we just can't do it anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. So one thing that maybe not be, and I would say, I would start with just reading your Bible.
0: Right. I know it sounds and that, so incredibly it sounds,
1: basic. It sounds ridiculous, but that it's, it's you ask any man yeah. about reading and they'll tell you, I just don't read. Yeah. You know, and for which I say, you don't have to have a book in your hand. I yeah. know people like to do that. You mm-hmm. can, you can do the audio um side of things, but but just to sit down and do that one thing. Right. Like it, it is actually a discipline not to have to change something every 19 seconds in your life in order to not be bored to
0: tears. Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and so to think about reading a book. Absolutely. It, it literally scares men. Yeah. And and they just need to do it. Yep. And because they need to train for the spiritual war that's in front of them. Amen. And, and they need to be, as well as training for you know, the physicality of it.
0: Amen. And there's, there's a beautiful starting block because then you've got the physical and mental, not the physical, so you got the spiritual and mental discipline Mm -hmm. of one of the most basic spiritual disciplines in the Christian life. You train the man, you have to train the whole man. Amen. And there you go. You got to train the whole man. You know, it's, it's interesting. um, Recently, I was in a conversation with somebody, won't say who, but Uh, individuals, Christian guy and asking for advice and uh, the conversation kind of went with, well, what did, what, what have you seen the scriptures say about this particular issue? And there's just a blank. I'm like, okay, well, there's the first problem, right? Because if, Mm -hmm. if you are doing that discipline, like 20 minutes a day, which is not a lot of time, like most guys spend more on the John on that. So it's like you're 20 minutes a day reading the Bible? you should have an answer to that question. And they don't. Which goes to show that, you know, the basic of all Christian disciplines is something that is is lacking. So, very good point. Yeah, Paul says, you know, have nothing to do with irreverent,
1: silly myths. He's, t- he's actually talking to Timothy. He says, rather train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, mm-hmm. as it holds promise for the present life
0: and also for the life to come. Amen. And to add to that too, training the whole man and going back to, you know, what you're saying, Graham, about this idea of being ready for having a warrior's mindset, having this idea that, well, you know, we are in a a fight and we we are gonna have to engage the enemy in some way, whether it's physically or spiritually, we will engage. It's not a matter of if, it's when. Mm -hmm. And I love what David says in Psalm 144, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war. He's praising God for military ability. Yeah. And then he says, and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress. I think that's so amazing that right away after saying, God, thanks for teaching me how to fight. He's my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield. Again, more military imagery there and he he, whom I take refuge who subdues people under me and so David is actually praising God for the ability to fight and he's doing it by writing poetry by right and there's the warrior poet yeah there it is inspired by the spirit of and God was, yeah and God called him a man after his own heart isn't that incredible yeah. and this I think this vision because I've had this conversation with another guy in our congregation who will remain nameless but we love him he's a brother and uh, and he was commenting on this passage and, and he's like, he goes like, I, I rejoice in this. Like, I'm so grateful for being able, like, this is in the Bible yeah. because he, he, his statement was, I find that in, in, in my life and what I like to do, like, I don't, like a lot of people in the church don't understand me. They think I'm a bit of a, a crazy guy. And I'm like, actually, no, you're a biblical man. There it is. There's the warrior poet inspired yeah. by the spirit of God.
2: I think, I think understanding the spiritual battle, like the importance, like for me, that reading the Bible, that's a discipline I struggle with. Mm. Um, for me, I do read a ton of books mm. and the hardest one for me to read is the Bible. Mm. Um, and it's the most important one, right? But Amen. like, I, I have an ideal in my head and that's what I'm talking about. I'm not saying I do this. This is just this the stuff that I would like to do Amen. Um, and that I'm striving for. Amen. But I think, I think that, spiritual and physical training like if you understand that you're in a spiritual war the spiritual war will always it will always spill over into the physical so i would say as a as a christian if you if you are developing yourself spiritually mm. you will recognize the need to develop yourself physically mm. the more you study the bible the more you'll see that you have responsibilities as a man mm. that are physical that you need to prepare for and you need to do amen and maybe some of the more extreme ones the situation you may you know in the last 50 years you may go a lifetime without seeing some of them but even then it's rare and like it goes back to like some of the stuff you're talking about seeing you know on the news or whatever people doing terrible things everyone just standing around like i see that all the time right first thing anyone does pull their phone out Mm -hmm. nobody is prepared to do anything and a lot of the things that are going on are just the outworking of evil that's going on behind the scenes it's not okay, I train myself spiritually. Mm. I don't train myself physically at all. Mm. You know, and if something physical happens, that's separate. It's mm-hmm. like, no, it's not. You know, your family's under spiritual attack. Right. And if it comes under physical attack, it's just an outworking of what's that's going right. on spiritually. That's right. Like they're they're way more connected than we think. They're not okay. one or the other, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and when you talk about training the whole man, like you need to train yourself spiritually, mentally. I mean, the wisdom that we've seen some men have in the last few years versus others like you can tell who's who's trained who's read books who's read their bible who's trained mentally that's right spiritually and i think it will become more obviously physical amen and i mean even now it is and i it's just another thing you you know you see see on the job right like there's just constant physical stuff happening to people that never thought it was going to happen to them Mm -hmm. and they're helpless Mm -hmm. and everyone around them is because they've never thought of it they've never
0: prepared mentally for it Mm -hmm. never physically What's that uh, famous quote there from Lord of the Rings. Uh where Aragorn's talking to the uh King Théoden. Says I will not risk open war. <laughs> and Aragorn says open war is upon you whether you would risk yeah. it or not. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first heard that line I'm like Ooh. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. he he rang a big bell on that one because yeah. that is the mentality of so many. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That that is i don't know if i can say this that's kind of the gospel coalition idea of of our nicianity mm. you know and Nician. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry it it's it they're they act like they know war is coming um but they they want to diffuse the battle yeah. through diplomatic means
0: yeah yeah
2: a frantic attempt to comply. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> an almost desperateness to,
0: to maintain. Yeah. Right. Well, and even, even the gospel proclamation itself is not a diplomatic appeal. Mm-mm. The gospel proclamation is a command. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mm-hmm. It's not, consider this. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's no diplomacy. There's
1: not give and take. There's nothing going on there. It's like... It's a definite declaration of who we are and what we must do or die.
0: Amen. Amen. There you go. Well, there's
2: an urgency to it. Even this stuff, like we talk about masculinity and you can talk to a lot of people about it and they're like, oh, this is very nice. You know, this is a great thought, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, no, you must do this. That's right. Now, you know, there, there there's no time to just sit around and keep thinking about it and enjoying it like i don't know we we've got to figure this out because we're we're on the verge right now
0: right
1: paul finishes his speech to timothy by saying this is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance for to this end we toil and strive Mm -hmm. because we have our hope set in the living god who is the savior of all people especially of those who believe Mm -hmm. then he says command and teach these things let no one despise your youth. And he goes on and it's like, devote yourself to the public reading of the scripture. Do not neglect the gift that God has given you. Mm -hmm. And he goes on and on like this, practice it. It's it's command
0: after command, after command, after command. Because he's like, this is the way it has to be. Amen, amen. This is the call. Well, brothers, um, I just noticed that we are running out of time but uh, l- let me leave us with uh, a brief meditation on the ultimate picture of manhood in Jesus. So we have in Jesus who honors his mother and father, studies and memorizes his, memorized God's word from childhood, faces off against the devil himself after fasting for 40 days and was victorious. Worked as a carpenter for 15 years, walked hundreds of kilometers for three years of ministry, slept outside in the open air for the most part. And in the final hours of his life after a sleepless night, And enduring torture carried a 200-pound crossbeam to the site of his own execution. Throughout his entire earthly life, he spoke truth clearly and boldly, even to the faces of those who wanted him dead. He showed compassion to those who were lost in sin, and he embraced those who were considered socially undesirable. In righteous indignation, he violently drove out those who treated the temple as a marketplace. In unmatched love for his friends, he bared with their weakness and ultimately gave his own life to rescue theirs. In faith, he always trusted and obeyed his father. And so that's the standard. And by God's grace, may we see that reflected in our lives more and more and more. You said there, you wrote in your notes there. And if you don't mind, I just want to read it. No, no, go ahead.
1: Because what's our calling today is recover the biblical vision and work toward it in faith. Mm -hmm. Love your wife, train your children, serve the church, Mm -hmm. seek the lost, And take someone with you to teach along the way. Amen. That is is a wise way Mm -hmm. to live in a culture like this. And if the world doesn't
0: like it, let the heathen rage. Amen. The Lord is king. Amen. Amen to that. Graham, any final thoughts, brother? No. No, I think you said it. Well, thanks for joining us today, bro. It's been great having you on, and really appreciate you. Really appreciate what you're doing, and we pray that God will raise not only your son up into the image of His Son, but uh, that He would add to our number of warriors, warrior poets like yourself. So,
2: oh, thank you. It's a it's
0: an honor. Amen. All right. Well, I guess we're supposed to sign off now. So, until next time, if you got any questions, you can email us at questions dot com. And if you have any suggestions for the podcast, let us know as well. This is The Average Saint, signing off.